hectic Christian life being mature in Christ. And we fail to reflect on what's going on inside of us and around us and are too busy or too distracted to slow down and be with the one who can make a difference. In fact, the irony is we can be working for God and not spending any time with God. So, as a result, we run the high risk of remaining spiritual infants, failing to develop into spiritually and emotionally mature adults in Christ. So, Scissero says this, and he quotes one of, the, one of the leaders of his church, who says, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. <laughs> I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. But the text says, and Samuel grew on and was in favor with both the Lord and also with men. He grew physically, but he also grew spiritually and emotionally. So 1 Corinthians says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childhood behind me. So we are aware, all of us really, we are aware that uh, our families of origin have impacted us, but most of us are unaware of how much they have impacted and influenced us. When I turned 40 years old, I started having an increase, increase in, in headaches. In fact, I thought I had migraines. And one day it was so bad that uh, I had to be rushed to emergency. I, I just... My head felt like it was exploding. So when I finally was able to see a doctor, they gave me some meds to, to deal with the pain and to bring my blood pressure was through the roof. And they gave me some medication to bring the, the blood pressure down. But before he gave me the medication, he asked me some questions. He said, um, he said, anybody in your family suffer from high blood pressure? And I said, well, yeah, my father. And in fact, when I went home, I asked him, I said, Dad, you've been taking high blood meds for some years now. Uh, when did this start? He said, I mm, started in my 40s. I said, oh, I'm in my 40s. Mm. And uh, there was another question that I started thinking about. You see, because I grew up in a home where we did not deal with conflict in an emotionally healthy way. In fact, my mother bless her heart, she's in heaven now, but my mother, she didn't deal with it at all. <laughs> she would just clam up and keep it on the inside. She just never talked about it. Her philosophy was talking doesn't do anything, so you know, just grit your teeth and move on. So she wouldn't talk. My dad on the other hand was talking all the time. <laughs> but he wouldn't do anything about it. He just talked. Hmm. The other thing my dad did was whenever a conflict came up, and there was tension in the home, <laughs> he would crack a joke and break the tension. And everybody would start laughing. And then the problem was settled, which it wasn't. Do you think that those habits of relationship impacted my life? The way I did relationships? The way I responded to people on an emotional level? Of course. 
fascinated. For many years, I was unaware about what was going on. And uh, I, I just did what I was used to doing as if that was normal. Now, you can dismiss what I'm saying as psychological psychobabble and relegated to insignificance. Or you can take a step, go into those uncharted waters that are beneath the surface. Because you can look good, you can talk good, you can smell good, but deep down inside, it's no good. And it's impacting you. But because of God's grace, everybody shout, God's grace! Oh, he gives us opportunities. And, and God is, the thing I love about God is he doesn't treat us as a big group. He treats us individually. And he allows each of us to take a step. And it's not important how big the step you take. It's important that you take the next step. Everybody say, take the next step. Take the next step. And that's the opportunity that you and I have to grow. There was a small pamphlet that I've used for many years entitled My Heart Christ Home. <laughs> and, and the writer, it's just a little pamphlet, but it was a great little tool. And the, the uh, writer basically said that uh, when we ask Jesus into our hearts, we're like a house with several rooms. You know, the living room, the dining room, the bedroom, and so forth. But, um, and we ask Jesus in, but there's some rooms that we don't want Jesus to go into. And so we keep them out of those rooms, like the bedroom or the bathroom or whatever. And he's in all those other rooms, but there is a no trespassing sign on certain places in our heart that we just don't let God get in there. Samuel had the full complement of issues with his family and those who raised him to wrestle through. He had Eli, who was the, the, the priest or the pastor who... Hannah, his mother, took him to, and Eli raised him. He was a man of God, but he had flaws, just like many of us as parents have flaws. He had flaws, but he was a man of God. But still, Samuel was able to grow. And I believe the primary tool in his life was his connection to God through prayer. Friends, if I can't emphasize one thing any more this morning to you, is that prayer, first of all, it's a connection with God. It's all about God. And uh, we were thinking about it this morning. Great and marvelous and holy is our God. See, it's all about God. And, and our primary way to connect with God is when we begin to talk to him. You know, I talk to a lot of people about prayer. My prayer life is nowhere where it should be. But I, I'm constantly working on it and growing because it's in my prayer. And prayer is simply talking to God. It's asking God for what you need. It's recognizing that he's good. You wake up in the morning and say, oh, God, you're good. God, you woke me up this morning. I saw Roger Gillespie when he walked through the door and he came over. I said, Roger, how you doing? He said, I'm doing good. The fact that he can say I'm doing good is because God is good. See, God is good. He brought you here this morning. Turn to your name and say, God is good and I'm glad about it. <laughs> oh, yes, he's good. And, and he's made us all unique. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, one of the things that, I don't even know if I can do this, because it's going to be far enough out here, but I got a chance to meet a beautiful young lady. Let's see if it'll go there. 
beautiful. In the pink. Come here, honey. She's, she's resting against her dad. Now, is that Julianne? Mm -hmm. Julianne, turn around this way. Look, look at that smile. <laughs> wow, wow. So, Julianne, how old are you? Nine. I asked you that before, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I did. And you're nine and you're in the third grade. Mm -hmm. Now, I asked you also, where did you get that beautiful smile from? God. <laughs> from God. You know, that's a fundamental thing. And I just am so glad that you're with us this morning. And see that beautiful smile you have? The enemy, the devil, who is the ruler of everything wrong on this planet, his job is to try to, try to steal that from you, to wipe that smile off your face, to discourage you. But when you recognize that God is good, and everything that you have that's good comes from God. It's like he puts a shield, like you have an invisible shield around you. And he protects you. And the devil tries to come in. And, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and, and you just, and when it happens, you can just say, that's God. <laughs> so thank you for letting me bring you up here right now. Let's give Julian a great applause. <laughs> thank you. It's a wonderful thing to see our young people and our children and to see how God has blessed us. And uh, we're, and not just a few months, we're going to be crawling with children and with young people and teenagers because he's moving by his spirit. And when we pray, when we pray, mm, when we pray, oh, we open the door for God to do some stuff. So you have a choice. You can continue with the status quo <laughs> or, and if you continue with the status quo, you'll be saying like Jay who said I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same thing over and over again. Or you can decide to grow and take a step into the fulfillment, the wonder, the marvelous experience of walking with God and allowing him to grow you. Now, when you grow, it doesn't always feel good. Those of us who are parents, you know, we look at our children and sometimes you have what we call growing pains. <laughs> the pains go with the growth. You know, I've seen instances, for instance, where couples are in a relationship and one of them could be the man or the woman is just being a nerd or just being just being obnoxious or just being hurtful and all of a sudden they come into a situation and they meet God and then they change and the thing that she was praying about or he was praying about happens and then the person changes and the other person gets all out of sorts I didn't like the way he behaved before but at least I was used to it I don't know who this new person is. And sometimes it can be very painful because if one person grows, guess what? It challenges the other person to grow, and that can be difficult. So last week we talked about the power, for the, the, the power of persistent prayer, who, how Hannah prayed all the time, and finally Eli and the, and the priest uh, 
uh, saw her, Elkanah saw her, and um, thought she was drunk, but he, she said, no, I'm not drunk. I, I'm just taking my anguish before God. And she prayed all the time, all the time praying. Finally, God answered her prayer. But she continued on with thanksgiving. And then we looked at the benefits and the joy of giving. You remember what my friend said when he gave, he gave me a, a brand new Bible, and he put an inscription in it. And he gave it to me because he had just received one on his birthday. And it was a very expensive Bible um, with all the helps in it and everything. But he put in this, and I never forgot what he inscribed. Only what we give is blessed. What we receive is someone else's blessing. Giving a generous lifestyle. When you give of your heart, you give of your thoughts, you give of your time, your talent, your resources. When you give, there's just nothing like it. Man, I'll tell you, uh, you heard uh, one of the 16 days we have in this church this morning talking about the, the, the thrill of giving and sharing with people last night at the Armory. I mean, there's nothing like it. When you can come and be in a situation where you have something that people need and then you give it and you see the joy that brings to them. But the joy it brings to them is nothing compared to the joy that you experience. In fact, you experience the favor of God because God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. And When we give, we're never more like God than when we give. Can I get an amen, a double amen this morning? All right, some of you who are new, we do double amens around here. <laughs> amen means uh, I agree with that or let it be so. And so a double one. Let's get a double amen. amen. The benefits and the joy of giving. She said, and so now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He shall be given over to the Lord. Generosity and courage. Then thirdly, we, we mentioned that you can grow and experience God's favor in the most dire, unhealthy, uncomfortable, and even diabolical circumstances. So that was last week. Samuel was in a rough situation. Eli was a great pastor, but he was a terrible dad. And he let his, he let his sons do some ugly, horrible things, taking advantage of women in the church and stealing money out of the treasury and all kinds of stuff. He just didn't discipline his son. A man of God, a man of prayer, yes, like all of us. <laughs> We're a combination of the good, the bad, and the Lord have mercy, ugly. <laughs> and Eli was that. And yet in the middle of that dysfunction, the Bible says, and Samuel grew and in favor with God and man. And I think it was because he prayed. Anyway, we look at five areas that the favor of God is revealed. And that will be the crux of what I talked about with you this morning. Number one, the abiding presence of God. That's the most important thing I'm going to talk to you about today. His presence. Oh, if you've ever experienced his presence in your life, what a wonderful transformational experience that is. Secondly, the tangible benefits in the lives of others. Tangible benefits in the lives of others. Thirdly, the fingerprints of God left on the lives of others. Fourth, personal refreshing. And that's kind of close to number one. And then finally, the work of our hands to be blessed. Samuel was an individual and he enjoyed an extraordinary amount of the favor of God upon his life, his home, and the work of his hands. He enjoyed favor on his life, his home, and the work of his hands. Let me ask you a simple question. 
Can you sense and are you aware of the favor of God in your life, in your home, and in the things that you do? Hmm. A man and a woman seeks the blessing of God upon their life and work. All true children want to know and to be sure of their father's approval. Kids want that kind of assurance, and this was the psalmist's prayer in Psalm 90, verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This next text will provoke you to question whether or not God's favor is in your life. It's in Deuteronomy, and it reads like this. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Uh, do we have this up on the screen? We don't. Okay, I'll just read it to you. You will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herd, the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Wow, that's the promise of God. But the promise comes with a condition if, if you obey God's principles in your life. So let's look at number one, the abiding presence of God. And so the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham is now over 75 years old and He's about to get the news because God promised he would give him an heir that would bless the nations. And through that heir, the nations would be blessed. He's 75 years old. He and Sarah haven't had a child. And God is about to tell him this is going to happen. So he's sitting there. And representatives of God, angels, show up at his doorstep. Watch his response. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He bowed, where? Low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. What Abraham is saying is this, God, if you love me, let me be near you. I want to be in your presence. Let me enjoy your company. So I'm going to give you three things, which is the crux of what I want to give you this morning about being in God's presence. Number one, the presence of God begins with a spirit of humility. A spirit of humility. He bowed down. You know, that's quite different from having a spirit of entitlement. Well, God, I'm walking with you and I deserve your blessing. And Lord, I'm not feeling good right now, so I want you to heal me right now. God, I've been serving you and doing and following all the rules and giving and doing that. And uh, it's about time for my ship to come in right now, God, so I need it right now. No, no, no. The presence of God starts with humility. Lord, I, I bow down to you. Mm. Secondly, it's an intentional drawing near to God. And this is not automatic. It's like it's a process. You say, well, I want to get close to God so I can experience his presence. Well, you just can't say I want to be close to God just like that. You have to start a process. We're actually saying, this is what we're actually saying. We're saying, 
Zoe was saying, I want to be intimate with God. You know, uh, fellas, it's like the desire we have to be intimate with our wives. You know, somebody said, making love begins in the kitchen. It's a process. You have to create an environment. That's why worship is so important. That's why it's important for us to be together to worship God. Because we lift up our voices, we lift up our hands and our hearts to a holy and great God. And we say, God, you're great and you're marvelous. We are tuning our hearts and we are preparing ourselves to enter into his presence. David says, I will enter into his presence with thanksgiving. We come into his presence. Starts with humility and an intentional drawing near to God. You know, um, for ladies, it could be, you want to get close to your husband? Then sit down and watch March Madness with him. <laughs> he said, well, I don't care about no March Madness, but he does. And if you sit with him doing what he cares about, you're opening up his heart. <laughs> Guys, when she's ready to go shopping, you know, women don't go shopping, they go shopping. Because it's an experience. It's an experience. And so, you know, when we go, we go, we're, we're going to hunt. We're going to hunt for the dress, hunt for the, get in there and get out. But, but, but for ladies, on the most part, not everybody's not like this. Sharon told me she doesn't like shopping. <laughs> so we're different. But generally, generally, it's the experience. It's not so much the buying, but it's being together and looking and noticing. And so as men, I had to learn that. Just, okay, just be in the moment. Because I'm creating the environment for later on. Glory to God. Praise his holy name. It just doesn't happen like that. The scripture says, Jesus, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So we can be in his presence. It's an intentional and then C, submitting to the will of God. An awareness of the presence of God in your life is a sure sign of God's favor. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. The verse in Philippians 2 is a perfect example. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on across. Okay, let me go right to the end here. I'm going to cut this short because I want in a moment I'm going to ask uh, Richard Owens to come up and share something. We had a conference yesterday in Los Angeles and uh, we're creating a multi-ethnic cohort of churches in the greater Los Angeles area that are multi-ethnic and are seeking to touch their communities with Christ to recognize the value of differences and to affirm the fact that everybody is significant and God doesn't make junk. Everybody's important and everybody's unique. And everybody has a unique story. And it might not be your story, but why uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, in all our getting, get a what? and understanding. And when you understand someone's background, it makes a difference. For instance, let me just give you a little snippet of mine. 
I'm standing up here and I'm ministering to you. But I'm an African-American male from New York. Growing up in New York as a man, as a black man, is very hazardous to your health. Now, if you're not black and if you're not a man, you don't know what I'm talking about. And especially for the police. Now, I could regale you for the next hour about stories about the police. I'll just tell you one when I was 16, because I remember this. My cousin and I were going to a party in, not in Harlem, but up where Columbia University is, but you had to go through Morningside Park in Harlem, which is what we did. We took the train, we walked through the park, and this hot girl was having a party at her house. <laughs> and the only directions and structure we had was go through the park, and when you come up to the park, turn to the right and look for the tallest building on the right and go into that building and take the elevator up to the fifth floor, and when you get off the elevator, turn right and knock on the door, and that's where the party is. So we did that, we got there, we walked, and we, when we turned right, we looked, there's several tall buildings on the right. Which one is it? So we went into a building, and we tried to hit the buzzer, and we couldn't get in. So then we came back out, and then we walked to another building, tried that, couldn't get in. Now time is going on, and we said, maybe we're supposed to walk to the left. So we walked to the left, and tried to get in the building, couldn't get in there. By now, here come the police. You two, come over here. Now, I'm the oldest of eight. Any of you who are the oldest know that oldest children are very, very follow-the-rules-oriented. That was me. I followed the rules. I'm like that now. If you tell me the way it's supposed to be, I like to do it that way. I was obedient. I went to school. I never fought in school. I was a model student. I was quiet. I was respected in my home, respected in my community. Never was accosted by the police at all. Police called me over, me and my cousin. And we were dressed sharp. I, we thought we were sharp. <laughs> he said, you two, come over here. What are you doing in this neighborhood? That was the first question. In this neighborhood? Then I was thinking, oh yeah, this mostly white people live over here. What are you doing in this neighborhood? Well, we're going to a party. What's the address of the house you're going to? Well, we don't have the address, but it's the tallest building on the right. What's the name of the people? Well, we don't know, but her name is, we gave the first name of the girl. What apartment are you going to? Oh, I'm not sure of the apartment, but as soon as you get off the elevator, police said, come over here. <laughs> and then they took us and threw us against the squad car frisked us, cursed us out, said, you so-and-so don't belong here. I catch you over here, I'm going to kick your natural so-and-so. Get the out of here right now before I take you to jail. And I'm thinking, what? The next thing that happened to me, and it was an atrocious thing, I won't even tell you about it, but just to know that I have a whole litany of experience with the police. I had to train, I have two boys. I had to train my boys. Every black man knows he has to put, he has to sit down his son and say, listen, if you ever get stopped by the police, don't overreact. 
because your overreaction will put your life in harm's way. You say, what, in America? Yes, yes. And so my sons got accosted, and I won't go through all the details. Anyway, here's the point of this story. I hated the police. I used to call the police the pigs. My hatred for police. Until, everybody say, until, until. my brother became a police officer. And relationship with my brother forced me to reevaluate that just like me, there's good police and there's bad police. And I cannot have a prejudicial attitude toward all police because of an experience that I had with one, two, three, or four. There are many other good, hardworking officers of the law who do right and care for people. And you are missing out on possibilities in your life when you are prejudiced against all police. Consequently, now, today, everywhere I go, I look for the police officers. When I first got to Orange, I pulled up at the stop here on Chapman. Chapman and, and uh, right before Prospect, and it was, it was a beautiful day like it is most of the time, and my windows were down, and I pulled up next to a police officer, and he looked over at me, and I looked over at him. And I said, it's a beautiful day. And he said, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm praying for God's blessing on your life. Thank you. I look for opportunities now to bless police officers. You see, something happens when we get together. And this is why multi-ethnic churches are so important. We live in a divided country that's threatened to explode in animosity and division and hatred. And instead of the church leading the way, we have been bringing up the rear. And it's time for us now to reflect what the kingdom of God looks like and what it's all about for everybody, for all people, for every race, all men, all women, all stripes coming together under the banner of the love of Christ, declaring that God is good and that his love and his forgiveness is for everybody. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. And so, um, uh, Richard, come on up here. I asked Richard just to share a, a couple of things. And I could have asked Vera or Zoe or Amanda or Amy uh, to do that. They were all there with me. It was a tremendous thing. But Richard, just give us a couple of things. Good morning. So it was, uh, it was just truly an amazing experience, and you can ask my wife. She's probably tired of hearing about it because I haven't stopped talking about it. Uh, it was, I, I, I went to bed thinking about it. My daughter couldn't get a word in at uh, dinner or at breakfast this morning because I was still talking about it um, because it was just such an amazing experience, and you could truly fear, not fear, feel and, and sense the favor of God upon that meeting yesterday because there were multiple churches from Southern California talking about issues, social issues that don't get talked about. And you could ask questions comfortably. One of the questions I asked was I said, I am a farm boy from Oklahoma. Obviously, uh, if you look at the color of my skin, there's 
history of hate and prejudice and bad things that would be associated with, with Anglo-Americans. How do we break those walls? How do we break the barriers when we approach people of ethnicities that are different than ours? Um, and they didn't know that, you know, I was married to a uh, Mexican and that, you know, I have uh, Mexican children running around the house and there's Spanish. And they don't know that, but they just know me and there are certain stereotypes. So how do we break those? And the first thing they said was, they said, you have to own what happened. Instead of throwing your hands up and say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I wasn't that. That was, you know, those are the answers. That, that happened a long time ago. I didn't do that. I love everybody. You can't say that. You have to say, you know what? You're right. There are bad things that have happened, and I'm sorry that those things happened to you, and I'm sorry that they continue to happen. I'm sorry for the things that my people may have caused you, but I'm here to help fix those, and I'm here to walk with you. And it, it was amazing when you hear them talk about how Paul talked about forgiveness. And Paul would go on missions, and he was going through, and he meant well by people. But not everything that Paul did, his intentions were good, but people sometimes misinterpreted his actions. And the thing that really that stuck to me, because there's times where I have had the greatest of intentions, but when people misinterpret your actions, that's what they remember. So it's important whenever we go out and we, we try to reach the community, we may have the best of intentions, but our actions may come across wrong. We have to be willing to apologize and own those and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, and work with someone to, to find a way to, to make sure that your intentions are truly shown. Um, and the other thing that really struck out to me was how everybody says, well, it doesn't matter because when we get to heaven, there's not going to be race. There's not going to be color. We're all going to be the same in heaven. But if you read Revelation 7 and you read about John, John knew all the tribes. He saw the differences in all the tribes. He could identify the tribes by their unique differences. And what they said, they said, when we get to heaven, we're not all going to be the same because God loves what he made. And if God loves what he made here on earth, why is he going to change it when we're in his kingdom? When we're in his kingdom, we will look the same. We will have our unique individual attributes and differences that God gave us. Hopefully we'll be able to speak multiple languages and we'll be able to communicate with everybody. But that was truly, that just, just hit my heart was God loves what he made. So when we talk about, when we, we say we want to become multi-ethnic, we need to remember that we are all beautiful, beautiful creations of God. That God made all of us. And God loves what he made. And if God loves what he made, and if we say we love God, how can we hate something that God has made. And so that's really what's at the heart of it. And, it, and it's amazing. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see what uh, the covenant is, is doing here in Southern California with this cohort and to see just the, the future and the vision 
in, in the growth that's happening and to see the, the youth that were there and to see the uh, Latino community was represented and we're speaking to them and the African-American community was there, the Asian community, everybody was there and they're all saying, we just want to reach people for God. So I, I leave you with, if God loves what he made, let's love what he made as well. And you can sense the favor of God being there when that was said. You can feel the Holy Spirit fill the room when those words were said. You just feel the Holy Spirit come upon you. And so I just want to leave you with that as we talk about, and you hear multi-ethnic church, cross-cultural church. If God loves what he made, we need to love what God made as well. Put your hands together like this. Well, glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my burden down. Glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my burden down. Sing it with me, come on. Glory, glory, hallelujah, hallelujah. Since I lay my burden down. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Since I lay. rest of that song goes like this. I feel better, so much better, since I laid, since I laid my burden down. I feel better, I feel better, well, so much better, since I laid. My burden's down. Last night about 1.30 in the morning, I, I couldn't sleep, so I got out of my bed, and I went to the piano, and I started. at about 25 minutes of being in the presence of God. I was killing that piano last night. <laughs> and I went through about five or six songs. And... As a result of that being in God's presence, I cannot describe to you what it was like. When we got to the end of that conference yesterday, I mean, something happened. We were in a room, and the sanctuary of the church we were in, the worship band was practicing, and it was distracting. We had speakers speaking, and you could hear the drums, and it was really distracting. But I, I knew that was going to happen, and I, they came in late, and so it was going to happen, and we went on. And then um, we got to the end of one of the sessions, and it, it was about dealing with some of the issues that Richard just talked about and how we can respond to one another. So I just stopped. I could feel, you know, it was one of those 
one of the moments when I knew God wanted to speak. And I knew he was going to show up. So I said, is there anybody here who would like to share a personal experience of how you have experienced God's favor in your life? So it was like a testimony. In fact, I've asked that question right here. And same thing happened there. Everybody started looking down at the feet. <laughs> but I could, I knew somebody, and I had met this young man named Caesar, and he was sitting over to my left. Um, Mexican young man, and he's in a church plant. They're going to launch on Easter. His pastor is Korean. And he was studying theology in a Latin American Bible school. And the only non-Latin teacher in that school is his Korean pastor. So he said one day after the class, he said something to him, and then the pastor said to him, can I pray for you? And he put his hand on him. He said, Pastor, I've been in revivals. I've heard preachers. I've been in anointing services. He said, but something happened to me when he prayed for me. And I said, I, I, I got to have more of that. So I asked him. I said, can I, would you meant to me? He said, I pestered him and I pestered him. And, and so finally, and so now, and then I got my, my other friend, who's also Mexican, to come. And we're part of that church, and now we're interns in training and all that. And so he's telling me about his life and how his life is transformed. <coughs> this is over lunch. So now, we're ending the time, and here we are at this critical moment. We're at a critical moment right now. God's getting ready to move and speak to somebody. And it was that kind of moment yesterday, and I said to him, I said, was there anybody? And I saw him shifting in his chair. <laughs> He's going like this. It's so funny. I just kind of looked over him. <laughs> and he said, well, he said, you know, my pastor, and his pastor's name was Kang, Louis Kang. He said the other day, he's only been a member of this church for a year. He said, I talked to my pastor, and I told him that I'm really worried. And he started speaking, but he was speaking in a halting, almost reticent narrative. Like he really didn't want to say what he was getting ready to say. But what he said was, my mother, I grew up in a home with no dad. And my mother's in and out of prison. And then when she gets out of prison, she goes back with her boyfriend who got her in trouble in the first place. And I'm in school. I'm in college. I'm trying to follow God. I can't concentrate on my studies. He said, I'm mad at God. God, I turned my life over to you. And I'm in a mess. And I don't see you doing anything. I'm trying to study for you, but I can't because I'm worried about my mother. And he said, you know, my pastor just looked at me. He said, I don't know how you feel because I didn't grow up in that kind of home. But he said, listen, son. He called him son. How come you didn't tell me this before? He said, it's okay. It's okay that you're mad at God. That's all right. But I want you to know that I'm going to be with you. And then he stopped. You know, that kind of halting. He just stopped and he said, 
He said, you know what I recognize at that moment? I recognize right now that just like Job questioned God, I questioned God. And I'm being demanding of God, you need to do something now. And my pastor should no. But God still loves you. He still cares for you. And he's going to bring you through that. And right at that moment, as he was sharing that, the kids were practicing. The band had finished, and it was, I guess they're having the children to sing today. They had a children's choir. And right in the background, they were singing, He is the Lord. Children's voices. He is the Lord. He is Lord. In the background, while he's giving that testimony. And he said, it was like God orchestrated so even though my life feels like a wreck right now, he's Lord. And he loves me. And he's going to move in my life. And you can feel the spirit of God moving in that. I said, friends, let's pray. And we prayed. It was powerful. It's the abiding presence of God. Bow your heads with me right now. If you're close to somebody, touch their hand. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I ask that you would move by your spirit. Some of us who need to take that step and say to you, God, I trust you with my life. I don't understand everything that's going on right now, but I trust you. Come into my life. Fill me with your love. Give me a new spirit. Help me to get rid of the fear. Replace it with your love. Father, I receive your love. And I thank you. In the name of Jesus, I thank you. I feel somebody praying a prayer right now. You just take that step of obedience in your life. And say to yourself, Jesus, I trust you. I may not see you, I may not understand what you're doing right now, but Jesus, I trust you. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can the church say amen? Can you say amen again? So we're going to uh, receive our offering. And um, Kathy, I forgot to tell you, but I need for you to put that extra amount that I talked to you about before in. Um, uh, as we, we give our offering today, you, um, I want to challenge you to give, to invest seed in this place. Give and it shall be given back to you. And we are learning that the more we give, the more God blesses us and we give out of obedience. And I want to challenge you to take the step of faith to believe that if I obey God when he said bring the tithe into the storehouse, that he will supply, just like in 2 Corinthians, he'll supply seed 
for the sower, for those of us who are sowing. And it's not just in the offering here. It's a life of generosity to our children, to the community. It's, it's giving. And I want to challenge you to test God with that and give joyfully. Father, I thank you that you have blessed us. And out of the riches of your storehouse, we get to say thank you for your goodness. Receive these gifts right now. We don't, there's no tax or we're not forced to do this. And by the way, if you are a guest and here with us for the first time, don't feel under any pressure to give. But because we've been given so much, we joyfully give back to the Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.